calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Take 15. My name is Bud Hazlitt, and I'm the head of risk management and derivatives here at CFA Institute. Today, we're honored to have Cliff Asness from AQR to talk to us about equity risk premiums. Cliff, thank you very much for coming. Thank you. Now, you recently participated in a symposium on the equity risk premium. What were some of the takeaways from that? Um, well, it was uh, you, you were there. It was a long day with uh, with, with, a, with with about ten of us around the table, so there's a lot of takeaways. But I try to narrow it down to uh, what I think was maybe maybe the most uh, most interesting. I, I really found two. One is the simplest. We all uh, made our forecasts for the equity risk premium going forward, and without getting into who made what forecast, uh, I I think it was entirely or near entirely. Uh, forecasts that were below the historical uh, numbers. Historical numbers are six, seven percent, and I think the kind of median forecast was was a four percent, and maybe the low was one. I don't think anyone. Was, I could be wrong about this. If anything, it was one or two, but I don't think anyone was at at history. So that's a kind of strong implicit statement um, that uh, that people don't think the historical equity risk premium is the same as the prospective equity risk premium we're going to get going forward. There are lots of different reasons that can be, and maybe we'll get into that later in the talk. Uh, two of the big ones are history could have been an accident that people don't think it'll repeat, or valuation still looks somewhat expensive versus history, so people could be making a conditional forecast. But a big takeaway for me was you, uh, maybe this means the opposite. Maybe we should be contrarian and be you know, loading up on equities, but you had you know, 10 experts in a room, and I don't think anyone was, was, was forecasting life would be as good as history going forward. Um, the, the other one is subtler, uh, but I focus on the disagreements. Uh, there's a great group, and there are most, most, mostly agreements with interesting discussion around the, the, the edges, but life gets really interesting on the, on the disagreements. And probably the biggest one uh, that I, I thought was on whether there's long-term mean reversion in, in equity returns and the very related concept of whether valuations, when equities look expensive or cheap against fundamentals, can predict long-term returns. We didn't settle this at all. We just kind of stated our, our differences, but I, I, I think they're interesting. One, uh, the, the basic camp uh, is people who believe that valuations have predictive power and people who don't. Uh, but it really comes down, and this was uh, fast. I hadn't thought about it quite this way before. It really comes down to what you believe beforehand. It's very hard to prove either way. The statistics of long-term returns are very dodgy. Um, if, you, if you believe this, uh, it, it, it's, you can't reject it. If you don't believe it, you can't reject the opposite. Uh, and so I think we all agreed to disagree, but it kind of framed the problem for me uh, a lot better. So I think there were a lot of takeaways, and a lot more will, will come out in your discussions and your, your monograph. But those, those two were biggies for me. And as many questions that were answered, more were raised. Yeah, we have for, to do this every future. 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. We're looking forward to it. Now, back in the 80s, there was a book, The Equity Premium Puzzle, and uh, are the tenets that were presented in that still uh, uh, still pr uh, present today? Absolutely. This, the, uh, now we had 
kind of two tops. When we say equity risk premium, uh, a lot of it is uh, what has it been historically, how to forecast it. But implicit in the whole thing is also discussion of this puzzle. And the puzzle is Marin Prescott who came up with it. And, and, and it, it, it's basically, let me say, try to say it in English, it's equity returns have been too good historically. And too good, you have to be very specific. In the context of most standard economic models, investors would have to be wildly more risk-averse than the standard assumptions to need 6 7% over risk-free rates to own equities. You shouldn't need that much. You should be happy to own them at a fraction uh, of that. And that's, that's a puzzle. Now, um, throughout, uh, for not just this seminar, we just are summarizing it, but throughout the kind of uh, 20, getting near 30 years where that result has been out there, it's, it's remained, I believe, true. We've had rocky times up and down, but I, think the, uh, I don't think that's really affected the long-term uh, numbers. I, I do think we have much better understanding of, of, of while, while no proof, a lot of potential, strong potential explanations for, for this puzzle. But the essential puzzle, that standard economic models cannot explain the U.S. realized uh, equity risk premium, uh, Mayor and Prescott were just right. Uh, it, it can't. What do you think are some of the factors that have the biggest impact on the equity risk premium? That is really interesting. The, 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 and I'll try to answer in context of the puzzle. Uh, there are a lot of ways to kind of think about this. Um, we're trying to explain why equities have had this very large premium uh, o- over time. And I like to, to think there are really three ways I can, I can think uh, about this. One is it, we, we have to modify our beliefs in, in some way. This, there is this inconsistency of the, of the puzzle. There is the why have you gotten 6 7% when standard theory shouldn't, shouldn't, you shouldn't need that. So one is, is rational changes, I'll call them, to standard theory. People are still rational, but standard theory is missing something. The, the second is, is irrational changes to standard theory. Uh, bubbles, uh, preferences that don't make much sense where perhaps uh, gains are really not valued very much and losses are tremendously painful. That's one potential. Or my personal favorite, um, the, the idea that uh, no one really ever got that 6 to 7% to, to begin with. Um, not to say that the numbers are wrong. Marin Prescott's numbers are no different than anyone else's who uses the standard kind of 1926 or 1873 numbers to the, to, to the present. Uh, but, I, and this, this came up 10 years ago when we had our first version uh, of this, but I've become an increasing believer that, that, uh, in, the, in the power and the importance of, of the fact that if you look over this anywhere from 80 to 140-year kind of history, it was very, very hard to actually obtain this 6 to 7% premium. Costs to invest in equities until the advent of the index fund were radically higher, and it, behavior was radically different. Very few people owned anything that looked like an index fund. People owned handfuls uh, of stocks. We can ask why they, they did that. Uh, that seems odd that they chose to do that. Um, but they did, meaning they were owning things at a few percent less per year return on average at way more risk than we think the equity market has. Now, um, there are a lot of other potential explanations, and I, the first two categories I didn't even touch on, but that one, saying, yeah, uh, the way we think of equities now, they would have been a fantastic deal in the U.S. going back uh, all this time, but nobody was really getting that deal. That, I, that looms large for me, maybe larger than it, than it did even in 10 years ago as, as, as one of the important explanations for, uh, for what drives the equity risk premium and what might drive it going forward. 
Now, you're a noted quantitative person. Have the theoretical models over the years made any progress in the equity risk premium? Uh, yeah, they, they have. A noted quantitative person, that, that, uh, that's, uh, that's well-known geek. <laughs> Let me translate that. Um, and I, I won't claim, you have better people than me at the seminar and, and, uh, uh, who are academic theoreticians. I'm a long way. Uh, at one point, I, I don't know if I was ever a theor theoretician, but I was at least up on this stuff. Well, you had a very famous former professor, didn't you? A number of, uh, of them. Uh, uh, the, and, and, you know, I, I shouldn't undersell. I, I keep up on this. I just don't want to imply versus some of the other people at this seminar. I'm not, I'm not in their league. Uh, but, and I don't know, I, I'm not going to get my dates right, uh, but ever since uh, Marin Prescott discovered this, there's been a lot of work on theoretical models to try to figure out how we can build a model to try to explain it. I happen to think, and let me give you the caveat again, that the simple explanation, no one really got uh, that, that good of a deal, and one I didn't mention, a, a little bit of, of, of selection bias, that the U.S. was better than the rest of the world and no one knew that uh, starting out. I happen to think those simple explanations are, are probably the most powerful. But if you skip that and try to come up with theory as to why uh, the, 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 it could be rational, or even if it's irrational, it could be explained by a model. Um, it really falls down, it, 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 almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them come down to why might equities be actually more painful to own than, than the, the simple models say they are. Um, and it, it, in the simple models, the variance of equities, how much the returns move around and how much that affects your consumption are just not big enough to bother you so much that you should need 6 to 7% over risk-free. But a lot of the theoreticians have worked very hard and come up with a lot of ingenious things that probably explain parts of the, the puzzle. A long time ago, a habit persistence was, was mentioned. This is the, the idea that, that people particularly don't like negative changes to their, their consumption. They get used to a level of consumption. That might not seem relevant, but when you blend it all in, it says imagine you go way up in consumption and then way down in, in, in consumption. Um, it, it, and, and consumption should be a muted function of stock returns, but even any move. Round trip, the original theory, says your consumption's the same. You're, you're okay. In, in this kind of theory, and a lot of uh, habit persistence one, but a lot of other the explanations have this flavor, it's more painful. That round trip is painful. You got used to this. Kind of rings true. Um, any of us, uh, you know, you take any of the bubbles where we thought our houses were worth this and they were worth this, very few people walk around and go, well, it's the same as it was a decade ago. I'm not really bothered by that. People mark themselves to the high in, in a lot of ways. And uh, that's one uh, great theoretical way, I think, to try to say why uh, equity returns could be harder to bear and more painful, and therefore people could require larger returns. The irrational side, prospect theory, uh, the idea, that's the idea that essentially losses are far more painful than gains are joyful from any point going forward. That, that has an, a, a tremendous irrational flavor. The idea is usually um, that, that, that this uh, kind of doesn't make sense. Uh, that people would, would have this view, though. I, I don't know if any preference could really be called literally uh, irrational, but it has exactly the same flavor to me. It's trying to explain why people might really dread these losses more than traditional models uh, thought. Again, it has the flavor that if you have a gain, great, you enjoy it. Now you remark yourself to here, and if you have a loss, that's real painful. Uh, there are many others, uh, but I really think the, the theoretical models explain it's very hard to judge which one's right and how much each one explains. But my earlier preferred explanation, that much more mundane, you didn't get that returns, the costs were higher. It's still my favorite, uh, but, I, but, but life is not simple. You don't have one explanation uh, for things. I think these models all ring somewhat true, at least in direction, and have all been fascinating. They have 
kind of increased our understanding of what people care about and what, what, and, and what drives equity returns. Great. Cliff, thank you very much for your insights, and thank you for viewing another episode of Take 15. Copyright 2011, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.